So as most of you guys know, with Caleb taking some time away from preaching over the next couple weeks, uh, he'll be enjoying time with his family and the addition of two beautiful baby twin girls here soon. Uh, it'll be Mark and I that will continue our series investigating the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, before I forget, speaking of Caleb's soon-to-be-arriving baby girls, if his phone goes off in the back, that's Rebecca. So we just know he graciously used that as a hot spot, but if you're all of a sudden distracted, uh, we know where Caleb has to go. So just a warning that if that goes off, we can all shout for joy that Caleb and Rebecca will be heading to deliver those twins. Um, but as we continue in the Psalms of Ascent, uh, last week, Mark shared Psalm 125. Uh, this week, I'm going to look at Psalm 126, followed by 127 next week, and then Mark will come back to preach Psalm 128 and 129 in the following weeks. And as you hear the word preached from Mark and I over the next few weeks, I want to remind you that although the approach and method we take to share how the Holy Spirit prompts our hearts, that may slightly differ. Hearing the word preached is a sacred time of worship and has come with much prayer and revelation from the Spirit of God. With that, no matter who is proclaiming them, the truth of these psalms have the power and the ability to transform us. This time as we enter in God's word is not merely teaching, which is about information, but is about hearing the word preach, which allows for transformation. With that, there's nothing that Caleb or Mark or myself can bring to you on our own that provides this inward transformation, but is solely the work of the Holy Spirit and the living, enduring Word of God. So as we turn to Scripture this morning, Allow our hearts and minds to be changed as we are manifest into further realization and recognition of our identity in Christ Jesus. As we enter into God's word, let's pray. Dear Lord, as we approach your word, allow for your truth to be illuminated to us in a new way. A way in which prompts our minds, but most importantly, in a way that asks for inward heart transformation. Allow for a deeper understanding of you, to be overjoyed by the restoration that you provide, a restoration we so desperately need. Lord, we recognize that this is a time of committing your word to our hearts and is not to be taken lightly. It's an opportunity to know you more and grow in obedience to you out of love for you. God, I pray this morning that my words would be your words, that your truth would be heard and understood, and that inward transformation would occur in the lives and hearts of the people of Buffalo City Church. Thank you, God, for your word and for giving us direct access to you through Christ Jesus. Amen. As we focus on this psalm, Psalm 126, this morning, I want to remind us that this set of verses and every set of verses that we encounter in Scripture is about God. 
It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about David or the psalmist with which God uses us to bring his word. No, this is a narrative from God about God, which allows us as his children to understand who God is. And as children of Christ, with his spirit dwelling inside of us, who we are and how we are to respond to the world around us because of our identity in Jesus Christ. See, all of Scripture is about the person and work of Jesus. The Old Testament, including these Psalms, points forward and prophesies about the coming of Christ. Every sermon, therefore, should be focused towards, gain, gain its understanding from, and point to our only source of salvation, Christ Jesus. This morning, the gospel will be proclaimed in Psalm 126. The gospel message that we are sinners in need of a Savior, foretold by the prophets and delivered in Jesus. Fully God and fully man, Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and was crucified to atone for our sins and the sins of the world. He conquered death, being raised on the third day to eventually ascend into heaven and be seated at the right hand of the Father, giving us a way by putting our complete faith and trust in Jesus to have eternal life with God and enjoy him forever. So as we investigate this psalm this morning, let's allow that to be our focus. Allow that to be our understanding of this scripture and every scripture that we encounter. As a quick reminder of where we've been the past few weeks, we've been investigating these Psalms of Ascent, where we started in Psalm 120 a few weeks ago, and we'll continue in subsequent weeks through Psalm 124, 134. Excuse me. As we've looked at these Psalms leading up to Psalm 126, which have been written by various authors, some unknown, some ascribed to Solomon and others, David, the overarching theme is that we are called to lift our eyes and our focus to the Lord. And as we've been provided that reminder, we have, been, we have seen that worship is not confined to a space, into a specific place, but should be the whole of our lives. We've been reminded that the creator is far greater than the creation. We've been implored to appeal to the credentials of God and seen the importance of verbal proclamation of the goodness and mercy of God. This morning, as we look at Psalm 126, we will see an overwhelming joy for God's restorative work on behalf of his people, and that although we pridefully forget the need we had for restoration in Christ, he has restored us to right relationship with him 
through the person and work of Jesus Christ. At this time, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you via your own hard copy or electronic copy, uh, I'd invite you to grab one on the table in the back. As Caleb reminds us each week, it's a very important and a very useful tool to be able to see the words in which we are proclaiming. With that, let's turn to Psalm 126, which says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. As we look to understand this set of verses this morning, we're going to see and quickly focus on God's restorative work in two phases, which will be the two main points of the Sunday's sermon. First, we'll see the restoration which God has done, justification in Jesus, which we'll see in verses 1 through 3. And secondly, we'll look at the restoration which the Lord will do, or the glorification we will receive in Jesus, which we'll see in verses 4 through 6. With that, let's begin to look at the first three verses to see and understand the first point, what God has done. Fulfilled desires resulting in overwhelming joy. Reading again, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Like Mark mentioned last week, Zion, which we see in the first verse here, represents where God's people are established. And so it's saying here, in other words, God's people dreamt of restored, restored fortunes and the Lord delivered, which produced in us an overwhelming joy. Those around us proclaimed that the fortune was the work of the Lord, and so we proclaim our good fortune in the Lord through Christ Jesus. As I read this and hear these terms of restored fortunes and dreaming, mouth filled with laughter, tongue with shouts of joy, I get this mental picture of someone who's just experienced something amazing. Someone experiencing something that they've dreamt but didn't think could happen. An unexpected gift. 
an unimaginable gift. If you've ever watched the show, and I don't even know if it's still on anymore, Undercover Boss. It's a show where the CEO of a large company, they'd wear a disguise and they'd go to work at the lowest levels of the company. And if you watched enough episodes, you started to realize that it was a pretty similar show over and over, right? And at the very end, there was always some type of unimaginable gift. During the boss's time as a disguised lower-level employee, they always seemed to cross paths with an unexpectedly solid employee who really bought into the mission and values of the company. They did things the right way and naturally went above or beyond in everything that they, do, they did. They treated the undercover CEO with more respect and dignity than would be expected. And at the end of each episode, they would bring in this person to the corporate headquarters and the CEO's office. They'd reveal the CEO's identity as the disguised employee that they were training and working alongside with over the last couple weeks. And they would provide some type of unexpected gift to this person who was an unexpected good employee. And as I think about that unexpected gift as an example, an episode that comes to mind for me, I can't remember the company or a lot of the details, but the unexpectedly solid, unexpected solid employee was a hardworking mother that had gone through quite a bit of misfortune. Right? Her husband had died. Uh, she, had, she had a better job previously, but the timing didn't work out, and she was forced to take this lower-level job. She was really struggling in life. But that didn't stop her from working hard in this job, right? And as we see in this episode, she was provided a pretty good fortune that the CEO decided to become an undercover boss and work alongside her. And when they brought her into his office, and throughout the narrative of the episode, they explained that one of her dreams was to be able to pay the college tuition of her soon-to-be graduating son. Right? And so they brought her in and they explained to her, wow, you have done an amazing job for our company. You have gone above and beyond. And, of course, they provided the unexpected gift of tuition for her son. And as you can imagine, her reaction was pretty special. Just seconds before, she couldn't have dreamt to be able to pay for her son's schooling. And now she was in awe. Mouth filled with laughter and her tongue with shouts of joy. Her face wet with joyful tears. It was surreal, surreal and unimaginable. She couldn't even fathom that this dream was coming true. And those watching the show are left to say, wow, this company that provided this gift has done a great thing for you.
And in different words, her response, similar to this psalm, which she verbally responds, this company has done something great for me. I am glad. As we think of restored promises, fulfilled dreams and desires, and the response of overwhelming joy, this psalm reminds us that these promises of restored fortunes of God's people are because of the Lord. We have been justified by the Lord, his promises already fulfilled in Jesus. You see, the joy that this person experienced in receiving college tuition for her son pales, doesn't even scratch the surface of the joy we have because of the restoration the justification we have been given in Christ Jesus. And so the question I asked myself then, as a fully restored follower of Jesus, is what is getting in the way of constantly experiencing this overwhelming joy of the realization that I've been given the fortune of my dreams in what Jesus has accomplished. The price has been paid in full. We have received restoration for what God has done, what robs my joy. The answer with which the Lord revealed to me is pride. See, the idea of Restoration implies a starting point of broken or dilapidated, a need for a spruce up. When we restore an old piece of furniture or a classic car, the starting point is something that needs work, something that's broken and needs fixing and care. But the prideful trap that we can find ourselves in can be the mindset that it's all good or things will get better because of some momentary thing I see on the horizon. Or maybe even the mindset that because of what has happened in our lives, we don't expect or dream or hope for anything. All of these are pride. And so I want to caution us this morning, remind us that for us that ascribe to the truth of the gospel, we humbly accept that we are broken. Because of sin that separates us from continual communion with the Father, we have searched for peace and joy and fulfillment in things that we can attain or strive for, things with which we can only find momentary satisfaction. We compared ourselves to those around us saying, at least I'm not that bad, or at least I'm not doing that. Folks, those are lies and facades 
and it's denying the truth that we are broken. Because of sin and death, we are in need of restoration. A restoration that only comes from the work and person of Jesus Christ. And not only can we rejoice in what has been done, we can also look at the restoration that God will provide. Eternal glorification, which is our second point. With that, let's turn back to verses 4 through 6. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We see here that those who sow in tears... Those who labor in pain, those who weep, shall be restored. We saw in verses 1 through 3 the grace in what Christ has done, what has already been accomplished. That we get an opportunity to live in his presence with the Holy Spirit. To be surrounded by his people who are filled with his Spirit to experience restoration through Jesus. But let's remember as well that we are not promised the easy life. We are not promised a lack of suffering or a lack of trials. In fact, we are reminded many times over in Scripture that we are in fact promised suffering. Because of what the Lord stands for in direct opposition of what the world offers, we will suffer. The cost of discipleship is to give up everything that this world has to offer and give it to the Lord. We've spent a lot of time discussing the cost of discipleship here at Buffalo City Church over the last few years. And we see it explicitly provided in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. Since sin entered the world in the garden, we will live in the world a world with tears and pain. But Buffalo City Church, take rest. Those who sow in tears shall reap, shall come home with shouts of joy. The eternal, which as Christians is where our perspective should lie, is harvested in joy in the second coming of Christ Jesus. Our vision of what the Lord will provide, this eternal glorification, we see in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 7. 
And notice as you listen to this that some of the language which we hear in Revelation is similar to what we've seen in this psalm. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What a beautiful and wonderful future we have in Jesus. What an occasion of overwhelming joy we will experience at the marriage feast of the Lamb as we celebrate eternity with our Creator in a life void of sin and death. As we move towards a conclusion then, we've seen in this psalm what God has done. Fulfilled desires and overwhelming joy and justification through Christ Jesus. We've seen in this psalm what God will do in taking what was sown in pain and tears, being harvested in joy through eternal glorification through Christ Jesus. So what does the restoration which the Lord has provided to us because, what, because of what he has done and what he will do apply to our here and now? To see that, we first look to our mission. We exist to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Folks, that requires us to answer God's call to be together in the messiness of life. To help point each other to the promises and work of Jesus in each other's lives, to be reminded and to remind each other that he has restored us, that the work of restoration has been accomplished on the cross, to be reminded that the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. To day by day ingest his truth and his promises. To spend time with the Lord in prayer, proclaiming his excellencies. To walk alongside each other, rejoicing and proclaiming what the Lord is doing in our midst. To walk alongside each other, bringing his promises and a glimpse of eternity in heaven to the here and now.
folks. The Lord knows, in fact, is part of his sovereign plan that life on earth will be difficult and include suffering. We recognize that sin and death don't allow us to enjoy constant, overwhelming joy on this side of salvation that this psalm provides. But we can remind each other and be strengthened in the Lord through spending time with our brothers and sisters in Christ and proclaiming the word of God over each other's lives. You see, being connected and being involved in the messiness of each other's lives allows us to course correct our difficulty and sorrow and suffering to be reminded that we're not justified by our works, by doing and stressing and worrying and striving. No, we are justified by what has already been accomplished by Jesus. And despite what the world tries to sell us, there's no shortcut or another route to the overwhelming joy that this psalm proclaims. We can strive to love and care for other people in our own power and our own short-sighted devices. We can strive for comfort in the material of the world. We can try to stack up a bunch of short-term enjoyments that may make us feel slightly fulfilled. But the flow of genuine love and care, the flow of genuine comfort and peace only comes from what has been accomplished and what will be accomplished in Jesus. We are called then to continually take up our cross and follow him. With that in conclusion, I urge us this week to consider these questions. You can see them in the, on the screen behind me. What fortune has the Lord restored? Secondly, what short-term fulfillments are limiting your ability to experience overwhelming joy? What pride is stopping us from acknowledging that we are broken and sinful in constant need of a Savior who has and will restore? How are or can we connect with each other, proclaiming to each other what the Lord has done and will do for us? These aren't easy questions. The path to being a disciple of Jesus is not without difficult questions and even more trying answers that lead to inward transformation. It requires an intimacy with God, allowing ourselves to be unzipped by the Lord and allowing him to point out the things which are not allowing us, which are forcing us to have a worldly perspective, a focus on the here and now. But folks, the Lord is prompting us to turn to him, to repent of our striving and rest in the restoration which has been provided and will ultimately be provided in Christ Jesus.
When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let us pray.